It's a point of fascination for me, again, having never done psychedelics before. In what ways are the charismatic experiences similar and what ways are they different from a psychedelic trip? Yeah, that's an awesome question. I love, I love it. Um, Welcome everyone to another episode of Deep Talks. I've got a an old friend here, someone that's been on the program before. I talked to Paul Reese, would have probably have been maybe two years ago, and Paul was one of the first conversations I had with a former psychonaut. It's been an area of interest in my life for several years. I have no personal firsthand experience with psychedelics. I'll just come out and say that right away. But as I've seen more of an interest in this happening in our culture, especially among, among people my age and younger, um, and hearing their stories, hearing some of the parallels between um, people's psychedelic experiences and other spiritual experiences that Christians or even other mystic traditions have had, it's been a point of interest for me. So I'm really excited to have Paul on. Paul just released a, a new book, and we're going to talk about some of the things that he writes about in the book. I'm going to pick at his brain a little bit, but um, we'll, we'll, uh, we're just excited to have Paul on the program again. Paul, thanks for being here. I am uh, glad to be here, and um, I'm actually looking forward to this conversation after two years and kind of getting to know you on a deeper level. I just appreciate your perspective and what you're bringing to the world, and I think you truly have a gift. And uh, yeah, I just this will be a good conversation. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate it. Yeah, Paul. Paul jumps into our regular um, monthly. We, we're close to monthly these these Patreon Zoom group discussions that we have. So we've really gotten to know each other fairly well over the last couple of years. Paul, one of the things I wanted to start with is obviously people can go back into like the back catalog and uh, I don't have the episode number handy for when we first had our conversation where you laid out your full story. Um, so we, we don't need to do that again today because people always can go back and listen. But I'd, I'd love before we start to kind of unpack some of these different ideas and, and things you've been ruminating over the last few years, uh, I'd like to share with people just a little bit, like a short synopsis of your of your story, as, especially as it pertains to psychedelics uh, coming out of the psychedelic movement and into more orthodox expressions of, of the Christian story and Christian community. Yeah, for sure. So I guess we'll start when I was born, Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Yeah, and then I moved 45 times after that, but raised by amazing Christian parents who just loved Jesus, loved people. Uh, definitely, you know, King James Version only, conservative Christians, but uh, their heart and their um, belief system was directly in line with the biblical guidelines of loving people. And they fostered, they adopted, they loved us um, in, in just an amazing way, and I had a very strong family unit growing up. And so um, I'm grateful for that beyond measure. And uh, about the age of 12, uh, because we moved so often, my dad was in the military, uh, we were at a church, and the church had some unhealthy things um, that were taking place in the church from the leadership. And out of uh, honestly, out of fear, um, I closed my heart off to God at that point and started to um, look for ways that Christianity could be wrong or hypocritical or ways that the Bible could be wrong. And uh, so from the age of 12 to around 30, uh, my heart was really hardened towards God. And, you know, I had 
you know, said the sinner's prayer, I don't know, close to a hundred times maybe, you know, laying in bed at night and, you know, hearing a message about hell and, you know, just saying, Jesus, please save me. But uh, in reflection, those experiences, whenever I was young praying, um, I don't think I really knew what sin was. I don't think I knew who Jesus was. I don't think I even knew what my prayer was, except for a response out of fear of burning forever. Um, you know, the Bible does talk about coming to me as a child or coming to Jesus like a child. So, so maybe there is something there. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I, you know, really rejected, uh, anything to do with Christianity, especially after I left my parents' house and I, um, started partying in college and had a girlfriend. Um, we partied a lot and, uh, she became pregnant, and I have a beautiful daughter named Kaylee, and I was married for three years, but there were very intense uh, spiritual things that came up in our marriage, and because I did not have a foundation in Christ, and neither did she, and I was just basically trying to use, you know, a 21-year-old psychology to figure out very, very deep spiritual issues, and that uh, has failure written all over it, and so... You know, we caused each other a lot of pain. Both of us made decisions that <clears throat> hurt the other one. And, you know, at the age of 25, I guess we were married for like three and a half years, um, you know, went through a divorce. And uh, there was about two years of extremely dark times and every negative emotion that you could experience, you know, bitterness, anger, sadness, um, manipulation, lust, betrayal, uh everything, um, murderous hatred for me. Uh, and you know, I didn't know Jesus. So I tried to find an answer for that pain. And, you know, in college I had started to party and I'd smoked weed and I'd drink and I didn't really like drinking. Um, and, but then I took mushrooms at first recreationally and I really enjoyed them. I thought they were fun. Um, and, uh, then whenever I started taking them more intentionally, uh, in, started to have these experiences that showed me things on a very deep way about the pain that I was experiencing um, in processing the divorce. Uh, and then it started to feel like it was taking me on just a completely different journey. And that's when I stayed on for uh, about a decade, uh, maybe a little bit longer, and engaged that reality very often, hundreds of times. You know, I'd say close to a thousand, but I probably lose count after 700. So, you know, it was. Uh, very often that I uh, that I did them, and um, you know I because I did them so often, and because I was also practicing lucid dreaming, and was also you know super hyper focused on how good my body could feel and how long I could meditate for, and you know living off grid with no electricity for a part of it just to be friends with silence, uh, just really it. Uh, there stopped being a line between, you know, whenever I took some mushrooms or regular reality, it all started to be pretty trippy, <laughs> my reality. Um, and, you know, there were a lot of really intense lessons and things that I learned from those experiences. And, um, you know, honestly, some, some good, uh, but any of the good uh, that came from them left me in a place where um, in my dreams I was being attacked by these uh, spiritual entities and 
normally with lucid dreaming, I could take control in my dream and just, you know, I'm going to go fly through New York. I'm going to go into the universe. I'm going to go interact with this person. And, you know, I could take control in my dream, but it was the first time where I couldn't take control in my dream. And these things were taunting me and I could feel how evil they were. And, um, I, you know, didn't sleep really for two days and I started to lose control of my thoughts. And that was something that I'd always uh, taken pride in was that, you know, even in the midst of an intense trip where, you know, reality was different from what I could see than what everyone else could see around me, I could always handle a conversation or just interact in a normal way. Uh, I could control my brain. And uh, just having that kind of desperation and lack of sleep and a spiritual attack. Uh, I called my friend over and he, um, he's a Christian and he came over and prayed with me. And that was the first time uh, in my life that I had felt the power of prayer and I felt the power of Jesus's name. Uh, and I, you know, these, uh, spiritual entities um, named themselves and left me, and I'd never experienced anything like that, and I wasn't trying to make that happen. Um, it was just a response to praying in Jesus' name. And as the entities left me, I could feel what those, uh, what their presence was manifesting in my life, in my mind, in my habits, and the freedom um, that came with them not being a part of me anymore. And uh, so that night, I didn't actually give my life to Christ that night, but I did receive peace from that prayer. Um, but the next night, you know, at that point in my life, I was so, I was into philosophy and a bunch of different stuff. And so it was, um, you know, experience was truth for me. And I couldn't deny that calling on Jesus's name um, had power over the spiritual uh, battle that I was in. And that was something that my own self-sovereignty, my own, you know, enlightenment, my own awareness, my own personal strength or will, like it had no power. Jesus's name had power. And that just showed me very clearly that there was a hierarchy in the spirit realm and that, you know, um, Jesus's name was at the top. And so I just got on my face and just called out to God and, you know, just asked every question that it was in my heart buried and, you know, resentments from uh, misunderstanding of the way that, you know, Christianity is or the Bible is, or uh, just, philosophical questions and just like confess like every wrongdoing that I had. And just, um, that night I just, you know, wept and wept for hours. And you know, I believe Jesus came into my heart. I experienced the Holy spirit and I felt just a tremendous peace. And, um, it's, it's hard to describe the journey after that a little bit, because it was immediately like the most intense spiritual warfare, like, I was like, okay, I found a weapon, and it's Jesus's name. And <laughs> there's a lot, of, and because of the reality I'd come from for the last decade, like in tune with the spirit realm, and um, you know, having uh, believe the gift, the you know, discernment of spirits among spirits, and um, immediately things came into my life that I saw miracles, I saw demons cast out, I saw a bunch of really crazy stuff for about three to four years. But the danger in that for me. Uh, was that I was so heavily reliant on what the Holy Spirit felt like, which at the beginning was absolutely amazing, uh, but I was not grounded in the Bible. And every time that I would read the Bible, I would feel like my old mind uh, come into the reading, and it would be like, it would basically create a dilemma with what I was reading. 
um, and that was because I didn't know how to read the Bible. Um, I wasn't making it an active part of my Christian walk. And so I started to um, slowly, uh, and this happens, I believe, with a lot of people, they say they have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, but it's not grounded in God's Word to verify you know, that what the Holy Spirit is saying is true. Um, what I wanted to have happen started to be what the Holy Spirit wanted to have happen. And, uh, you know, that uh, is not a healthy thing. Um, I believe a relationship with the Holy Spirit is healthy, and that's a part of being a Christian, and praise God for that. But um, if you don't have a foundation in understanding the Bible and God's Word as the truth, and using that to verify what the Holy Spirit is saying, then uh, very quickly you can become a sorcerer of sorts and just basically say that the Holy Spirit is telling you things. Um, and, you know, in Matthew, when it talks about, there'll be many in those days that say, you know, I cast out demons in your name. You know, he said, depart from me. I never knew you. Like there is a degree of sorcery that can happen because just saying the name Jesus has a power, uh, to it. And, um, and if people realize that, then they can use that without really having uh, a foundation and a relationship, um, based on truth. Um, because, uh, the spirit realm responds to that uh, name, and so yeah, it was. Uh, it took a while, uh, maybe I don't know. So honestly, time and myself—it's uh, hard to <laughs> say the exact. Somewhere between three and five years is when God really called me into getting convicted me of pride in a major, major way. Putting on my face on the ground in the dirt with fire ants crawling on me with stickers on me, and just showed me how pride had started to creep into my life and. Uh, just really broke me and just called me to start reading his word. And so whenever I started reading his word, I started to do something which is biblical, and I started to say, Holy Spirit, like when I read the Bible, it's really hard for me to read the Bible, and I feel like I immediately create an argument or find a way that it could be wrong, or and I need help. And I, when I started praying, the Holy Spirit, I felt like it was the first time in my life where the Bible became living. Um, like the words would literally feel like they were jumping off the page into my heart. Uh, they would convict me of thoughts. They would show me an error in how I believed the Bible and what it meant growing up. There were so many things that happened um, in reading the Bible that um, before, you know, giving my life to Christ, I was always like, you know, it's just like a religious book and, you know, pointing out um, any of the issues that are very common, you know, with slavery or God killing people or you know, any, any of the things that exist in the Bible that are going to be arguments that like a Sam Harris would come up with on the goodness of God. And so it was, uh, yeah, that was um, amazing for me to discover that. Um, and I had to do it the hard way, which is I probably lived in error uh, for the beginning of my Christian life because I wasn't grounded in God's word. But I'm glad that he broke me and showed me those things. And um, yeah, praise God. Hmm. Well, again, we we unpacked, and I had so many other follow-up questions to Paul's journey um, in the previous conversation that we had. So I, I don't want to go through all of those again, but I, there are a few points that I, I, I want to address from your story, Paul. And one of which is, um, as you're talking, you're, you, you're speaking as how I hear many people who have had... Um, repeated psychedelic experiences talk there are two maybe schools of thought this is a broad over generalization but there's kind of two schools of thought as to what's happening 
to someone on a on a psychedelic trip. In one school of thought, there are people that you know maybe fall into that reductive materialist camp, and they go, "Well, anything that someone's experiencing on a psychedelic trip is is nothing more than the hallucinations produced by new neural networks being connected, and that that's all it is." Um, and maybe there's something to that. Um, you know, not every similar, you like, you know, you got into lucid dreaming and things like that. Not every dream that we have is, uh, I've had very, very deep, what I would certainly consider like prophetic dreams ever since I was a child, like things about the future that I would dream about and they would, they would come to pass. We're talking about things I would have no natural knowledge for. And then there's also like, I ate pizza at like 1130 at night. <laughs> and that, that dream was just like weird delusional, you know, the, the file folders in my brain are, are shifting things from short-term memory to long-term memory. And that's what happens when we dream. And so there's certainly people that go, all of psychedelic experiences are, are, are pure hallucinations, like a bad dream. And then there's those that it sounds like what you're saying is, you know, you really feel like, uh, and not naming all of these experiences as good, but that you really feel like that, uh, those substances actually opened up some sort of doorway to a real spiritual domain, something beyond you. And that seems to be, this is one of the things I find most fascinating, Paul, that seems to be, this is anecdotally, but it's also uh, in some of the research Johns Hopkins University has done, it does seem like the vast majority of people who have these sorts of experiences feel like this is more than just a weird pizza dream. Like they're really having some sort of connection to the spiritual, um, to the noumenal, whatever you want to call it. Um, what has made you, as you look back on that, fairly convinced that that was happening? Um, <clears throat> so there are you know, four or five different ways that you can hallucinate. Uh, one is just purely visual. Uh, one is like physical symptoms. One is auditory. Uh, some people even have smell. Uh, it's very rare. And uh, whenever you know, I first took mushrooms, my very first time, I was looking at the bathroom wall. And the bathroom wall, uh, my entire time in living in that house, uh, had never been interesting. <laughs> All of a sudden, that wall was the most really? interesting thing that I'd ever looked at in my whole life. And I mean, I'm talking like it was alive and beautiful and curling into itself and creating waves and leaves and animals. And, you know, I <clears throat> looked at it and I said, okay, that's, um, that's not happening. Like I just realized very quickly that is a hallucination. Um, and... There is an interesting, I've thought about this a lot as far as like the reality of like what you're interfacing with, like who's to say it's all hallucination, who's to say what's real or not real. Um, I don't think there will ever be a concrete answer, but I will say that biblically, uh, pharmakia, uh, the sorcerers would use drugs to access the spirit realm uh, in order to gain powers or insight or and um, also they use it for idolatry <clears throat> to open them un themselves up for worship uh, and to worshiping other gods. And you do open a portal to the spirit realm, 
And I think that your degree of spiritual awareness plays into the reality of what you're interfacing with. I feel like the more that I, at the beginning, I felt like my hallucinations were just like interesting. Like it was, but then slowly, like I would, my emotions started to creep into it. And I was like, oh, wow, I have to deal with a lot of anger. I have to deal with a lot of pride. I have to deal with a lot of uh, manipulation. I have to deal with a lot of um, sadness, uh, regret. And those are things that I had masked in my life to try to not feel them. And so it was almost like it slowly, like the more that it opened to me, the more that what was inside of me started to interact with it. And it started to be less of a hallucination and more of a, door that was open to explore with intention. And, you know, it's uh, when it started to get spiritual for me is whenever I started to see the spirit realm in a very real way. And not only that, but just being around people, um, you know, in in hindsight now, uh, there would be some times where I'd be tripping. I'd just be like, I have to get as far away from this person as possible. Like, I just, I could not be around a person. And this is before knowing Christ. Looking back now, I was like, "Oh, that's because it was a Satanist." <laughs> like, like knowing the person, and like, I was like, they had a very evil spirit in them, and so you're like, you just really can sense uh, the spiritual nature of people and things, and you know. So I would say that, um, it, the interaction with the spirit realm is real. Uh, the visualization of that interaction, um. You know, what's interesting is that you can have the hallucination with, you know, your eyes open. Um, but if you really want to have it, lock yourself in a closet and close your eyes and you go to another universe. Um, and so I would say that the spiritual nature of uh, psychedelics is very real. And sometimes on a person's first experience, it'll be deeply spiritual, but then other times it'll just be recreationally. It'll happen in a recreational manner. and um, it's more like surface level, like, oh, this is neat. I'm seeing things kind of kind of way. Um, but the fact that the Bible talks about it and the Bible, um, anytime it mentions sorcery with the pharmacia, uh, the majority of the time those sorcerers were using drugs to access the spirit realm. Um, and so there does seem to be some legitimacy biblically behind the interaction having a spiritual meaning to it in a very real way in the fact that the Bible tells us not to uh, have that. Uh, so the Bible seems to verify mm. it. Um, and then I can personally say that uh, I can verify that the interactions that I had spiritually uh, at a certain point, once they started to get more spiritual in nature, they were very, very real. Um, and, you know, and I could learn how to to discern like, okay, I'm just, you know, I'm looking at the grass and the grass is floating. It's like, I know the grass doesn't float. So this is just like a neat, (laughs) a neat thing my brain is doing with this. But um, when I was around people or whenever I would start to get a reflection of my own spiritual or emotional state, it was like so real. Like it would just sometimes break me or I just fall on the ground and like cry or like experience ego death or there are a hundred different, hundreds of different uh, experiences that I had that, you know, I could describe, but um, yeah, I would say that the spiritual nature of them is real, but the um, the rest of it uh, is is hallucinatory. It's more of just a way to open a door into a realm 
that is a, a dream in a sense. And in the same way that I could lucid dream, um, you know, without taking psychedelics, if I was dreaming, I could take control of my dream and I couldn't create the dream, but I could create how I reacted to the stimuli in the dream. And um, it was very much like that with psychedelics as well. Uh, like I never created what I was seeing, but at a certain point I had power over my reaction in the same way. If I go into a gas station right now, I'm not creating the gas station, but if I want to say hi to the guy in line or be nice to the lady checking me out or, you know, go buy a drink, I can, I can do all those things, but I'm not actually changing the gas station. Um, and I felt like that with the, uh, those experiences. What I find really interesting about that, Paul is like, because people, just because people may, there could be layers to this, right? There's a degree in which our minds are attempting to process something that goes beyond the bounds of what our minds can contain uh, and the, our language or our our frame of reference, right? So when we step outside of our, our our primary daily concerns, our normative framing, and then we have some sort of experience, whether it's in, you know, via via some sort of plant that we've ingested that's opened us up. There's all sorts of things that alter our state of consciousness. And whatever that avenue may be, you know, we actually see this. This is an interesting difficulty that sometimes like the the biblical authors have when they're having, let's say Isaiah, for example, in Isaiah chapter six, he's trying to describe this, this vision of the throne of God. And he's seeing angels with multiple wings, multiple eyes. And you're going, what in the world are you describing? Is this actually a description of the way things are? Or is this you know, beyond the ability to actually somehow transcribe into language and he's doing his best. That may be the case too with all sorts of spiritual experiences as long as we are um, able to confess like our finite limitations that you might be having something that's like part hallucination, hallucination in that you're not seeing the thing as it is, but maybe there's actually no way to see it as it is. You know, does that yeah. make sense? Like there's there's no way for you to describe. So your brain is scrambling to find what's the most comparable image here to this like four-dimensional, five-dimensional experience that you're having. And it comes out as, you know, I saw the grass moving, but I felt something, you know, in the grass moving. I find this really interesting because it, it there does seems to be there seems to be parallels with genuine mystic experiences again genuine from your and my perspective as as christians who we affirm like yes we can commune with god there's a dimension of reality beyond what our normal senses experience um there are spiritual principalities and powers beyond us um i just find it interesting that there 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 could be a degree in which maybe both are happening simultaneously it's not one or the other one other thing I also find interesting, Paul, and I want to pick your brain on this, is like we've got this really – I mean you had these experiences. You were way ahead of the curve mm -hmm. <laughs> in getting into this stuff in some sense. In some sense, maybe not. You know, there's, you know, back in the, 
you know, the heyday of hate, hate Ashbury and, you know, the summer of love in the sixties and seventies, there was that, the original psychedelic, uh, movement, at least in us history. And then, uh, you know, that seemed to have died out for at least a few decades. And now there seems to be this resurgence. It's interesting to me. And I, I want to get your thoughts on why you think this resurgence is happening. From my vantage point, it seems like people are spiritually depleted. They are so, um, they've been so ingrained, uh, ingrained in their thoughts is this idea that all there is, is the world in front of me. And that leaves us deeply hungry for experiences of transcendence to move beyond ourselves. And I just find it really fascinating that this is happening. And I, I, I'm curious as to, you know, as somebody that was not just doing this on your own, like I, as far as I understand, you were really enmeshed in like communities that were, um, that this was in some way, shape, or form a religious experience. I mean, of course, it started as just partying, mm-hmm. but there's certainly communities that would treat this in some ways similar to like a church tradition, like taking communion, right? This is like the centerpiece of how you now have experiences of self-transcendence. From your vantage point as someone that's been on the inside of this, why do you think this is happening? Why do you see the Joe Rogans? Why do you see you know, the Megan Foxes, you see these celebrities, um, you know, I, I've heard Sting talking about going down to South America or Central America for ayahuasca trips. Why, why is this happening from someone who's been on the inside of these communities? It's happening because men uh, and women are lovers of self and there is a curiosity to know um, the human experience in the deepest and most profound way. And there's also built into our hearts, I believe, a desire to know and understand God. And because, you know, we went through this whole, um, God's not real, science is the answer kind of phase that people, that leaves them extremely hungry. And I've interacted with multiple people who uh, were atheists and psychedelics and they're no longer atheists. Uh, they were not Christians, but they'd experienced the duality of good and evil in such a way that they could not deny it. And and that is the overwhelming experience right. of people, at least as John Johns Hopkins University research has done. It's well, I should say that's particular to DMT, so that might not translate across all psychedelics. But at least with DMT, that that seems to be the case for most people. Yep. And the other thing is, you know, a lot of these people are on the path of of self-awareness, self-knowledge, you know, inner work, trauma work. And if you want to accelerate any therapy or trauma work or anything like that, if you have one experience with psychedelics, it will do years of work. Um, it will do years of work. And so it accelerates... Uh, Personal growth, I believe, in an unhealthy way, um, but it does. And so that's – everyone wants to think that they're more aware than everyone else. And that was a stage that I was in. I always thought I was more aware than everyone else. It's like, oh, you haven't done this or that or this. Um, and it wasn't true. I just accelerated a learning process um, in an unnatural way. And, um, you know, the end result was me being crazy, honestly, and eating Jesus. So – you can accelerate all the personal growth you want, but if you're becoming your own God, you're going to end up in the same place of needing Jesus. 
because you as your own God is going to fail uh, and leave you feeling empty and desiring of God. And, um, you know, there is, you know, it's so interesting that the biggest names in the world right now are promoting these things because um, it's there, there's a trapping to it. You know, if you hear... If you're a football player, and you, oh, Aaron Rodgers took ayahuasca and he's two-time MVP and he attributes it to ayahuasca. He doesn't attribute it to his coach or discipline or, you know, watching, you know, tape or working on his form or it, it's like he took ayahuasca and that's what he attributes it to. So if you're a football player, it's like, maybe I should try ayahuasca, you know, and this guy's like the height of you know, what people worship. And so I believe that there's about to be a convergence spiritually in the world um, on a mass scale of people taking psychedelics. And, you know, uh, Aaron Rodgers is a story where he's a two-time MVP, but they're uh, in the very same breath. I can speak of a story of friends I know who were amazing athletes that could do anything in the world. And now I can't talk to them and they are clinically insane. And they got taken over by demons by doing psychedelics. and um, therapists don't know what to do with them. Parents don't know what to do with them. Even spiritual leaders don't know what to do with them because it's so insane what they have taken on, experienced, and manifest that they don't know how to deal with it. And, you know, no one really tells that side of the story. And um, it's just as real as somebody winning two MVPs and, you know, attributing it to that. So um, the danger is that uh, when people on a mass scale start opening themselves up to the spirit as free reign over their hearts and souls and minds, spirit realm in this way with no foundation of knowing Christ, that the enemy basically through their portals being open and can orchestrate things in a very in the same way that it can accelerate like personal growth uh, or you know dealing with traumas or reflections of inner things, um, it can. It can actually coordinate uh, spiritual intentions from like a worldwide perspective. So it'd be like mass sorcery is what's about to happen. Um, the enemy is going to have like free reign with people being wide open. And you know, if if the uh, if the end result for these people is that they get to say, you know, um, uh, oh, I am the full creator of my life. I realize well, I, I, you know, all these things where it's I, 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 all the lies that I told myself since birth and I saw through my story and I am in control. I, I, and it seems like very self-empowering. Um, that's the enemy's fine with someone having that instead of being insane. You know, uh, if you can say, yeah, I'm my own God and you're not insane, the enemy still wins because you don't have Jesus and you're relying on your own pride and your own ego um, to move through life. And uh, so not all of it has to end in insanity or... Well, let's talk about... I want to talk about that point for a second, okay. Paul. Can, I, can we talk about that? Just pause for a moment to talk about that point, because it's one thing that I find really interesting. Um, certainly, like in the Christian tradition, we have this sense historically that there are an affirmation that there are powers beyond us, but not all of those powers beyond us are for our good, that there are malevolent agents, there are spiritual principalities and powers, which are not for our good. It seems to me, Paul, that like, there's a degree in which in the West, maybe we've become so naive to that in ways that uh, non-Western cultures have 
that have never like kind of broken away from a more holistic um, framework that sees materiality and spirituality as deeply interwoven, that they are fine affirming that there are, even if they're not Christians, right? There, there's still, you can go to different cultures of the world and go, there's, there's, there's forces of light and darkness. And it seems interesting to me that when I hear a lot of, well, I hear Aaron Rodgers or I hear Joe Rogan, or I hear, I hear people in the West talk about, these experiences that it seems like from my vantage point, of course, like we're saying this as Christians, but it seems to me, even just as someone who studied history, there seems to be like such a naivete about like, well, all I need to do is if I can get beyond myself and I can tap into these powers beyond my own ego, that there's this like assumption that they're going to be for your good. And that to me seems like uh, that to me seems so deeply concerning. I, I, I think you're addressing it too. Is that you came to find through your own personal experience, and maybe this is what has to happen for these people. But you'd like to think that maybe there's some wisdom that we could steer them in a direction where they don't have to experience this in your own life. You came to experience as you went deeper and deeper into these domains what you really describe as demonic entities negatively influencing your life, I don't see, and maybe we will get to that point. I think inevitably we will get to that point the more this sort of psychedelic resurgence happens. But it seems to be initially that we have this in the West, this like high degree of optimism about what these things can do. Because at least for once, for many people, there's a moment of like, I can get beyond just my self-centered concerns and I can connect to some higher power. But I'm deeply concerned, and I know you are. This is what you're saying, at least it sounds like to me, and I want, I want you to give me your feedback, that that naivete about there being powers beyond us and just assuming that any state of self-transcendence is for our good, boy, I'm really concerned about what this looks like, say, five years from now, as this becomes more culturally normative and people get deeper and deeper, and they seem to get beyond those initial layers of the sense of spiritual acceptance by whatever these powers or whatever it is that they're experiencing. And as they get deeper into it, I'm concerned about a culture of people that get to the point where you got to, Paul, years in. And now they have uh, taken into themselves all sorts of um, things that are not for their good. Right. I'm concerned about this. I, and I'm also open. I, I know you are too in some degree. Like, well, maybe there is some positive purpose that God made these things for. But just tell me a little bit more about like, maybe for listeners that are, are curious about this stuff, like why why we should maybe move beyond these naive, very simplistic impressions of, well, any spiritual experience is for my good. Share a little bit about from your experience, from your vantage point, like people that are curious about this stuff, why they should come to it with a degree of caution about the things that they can encounter beyond themselves. Yeah, I would. I would say avoid it completely <laughs> as far as uh, if it creates an altered state of consciousness, um, and especially one in which you surrender your thoughts or helmet of salvation or you're opening your heart or mind, um, avoid it completely. Um, 
It was so fascinating. I was listening to uh, listening to the Megan Fox thing, and she was on some talk show, and she was talking about her ayahuasca thing and how she'd purged, and she was in the jungle, and it was just dirty and you know very real, and you know she's this Hollywood star who's used to things being pretty and clean and nice. And then she describes that she had an experience with hell. The level of pride that she was describing it with, like she had had a transcendent experience um, that was very, very scary. And she got trapped in hell for eternity. And so uh, when she was describing it, uh, there was like a understand the implications of what hell meant. She just knew that she had a trance that she had learned from and survived that other people hadn't had. But she didn't transcend an experience that was meaningful in a way that she could process. Like, it's an act of continually processing. Like, what I found was, like, every time I thought I was, like, doing another trip or another journey, it was like, oh, I'm going to go this next level, this next level, this next level. And it's like, you never arrive. And I think that's – and um, it isn't until a really harmful um, demonic – spiritual press the trapping in it is that every time after a trip there's so much to process from just a psychological emotional you know pseudo spiritual point that you think you're always growing presence takes over your life that you will realize your need for jesus um and i find that it's an observation in america there seems to be much weaker spirits that are in control of people and so the obvious kind of, you go to Africa and there's witch doctors putting spells on babies and people actively praying against witch doctors and crazy things, satanic things manifesting um, in realities. And uh, that isn't a part of your normal America. And um, that's because I believe in America, we have, we're so soft and spoiled that very weak spirits have control of us, over us. So if, you know, someone has a spirit that's just like uh, gluttony or laziness or pride, it's like, there's nothing really to confront. Um, it's not like an obvious thing. It's like, okay, that person likes to overeat, you know, but if those things are controlling spirits to control people without it being an obvious manifestation, I think that's what's got person's life to the point where um, they're not, uh, have, don't have a relationship with God or with Jesus. And the enemy can use very weeks going on in America right now. Um, I'm trying to figure out the right way to answer your question. Um, Maybe let me reframe it a little bit. What, what would you see based on your experiences? Maybe the people you've talked to, even just this past week, a guy um, like a Ben Greenfield has just come out and who's got a pretty significant, following has just come out and has this very similar story to you in, in many regards in that he was trying to maximize his life and saw plant medicine and and uh, and psychedelics as a as a means of maximizing his life and now he's coming out and going yeah i i, th- I think i missed it mm-hmm. you know um and is maybe steering people clear of that um you know, do you see that? We're, do you believe that we're going to see, you know, in maybe a few years from now, a, a, a mass exodus of post psychedelic people? Just similar, maybe we saw in the 60s, um, in, the, in the late 60s and early 70s, where we saw people that kind of came out of the Jesus people movement that had done all of that stuff, had done the hate Ashbury thing. And I, I can think of even 
influential people in those those early days of charismatic worship music mm-hmm. that came out of that and got plugged into Christian community. Are you hopeful about uh, like a, a mass exodus, or would you say right now you feel maybe more concerned about um, what might happen over the next few no, years I'm, I'm if, hopeful. if this sort of culture becomes more normative? I think it's going to lead to a great harvest. Um, it's interesting. And uh, for uh, Christians, honestly, because when you accelerate um, growth in that way, um, but it's highly unsustainable. Um, and I haven't, you know, I've met a lot of people in my life who have taken psychedelics and who, but I haven't met many really old people who they might have been like in the seventies I took, you know, psychedelics a lot or but it's just an unsustainable um experience. Uh there's it leaves you highly unstable and then after unstable you're processing and then you attribute that to growth. Uh but there's never a an answer. There might be a breakthrough. You might be like, oh I'm holding on to, you know, this, you know, trauma from whenever I was abused sexually, you know, as a child and I've released it. Okay. That, that might be an experience you had, but, um, what's, what's the answer? You realize that happened to you. You realize you're carrying it. So what's the answer? What's, what's the root? Uh, how, where's the healing in realizing that that thing happened to you? You already realized that it happened to you. You're just like unveiling that it's there, you know? Um, and so I believe that there's going to be a tremendous harvest and you're reading this book and, uh, you're fine. It's simply a matter of, uh, I believe listening to people, loving people and knowing that like in my book, I write, you know, five years into a 10 year journey, like I was with psychedelics, just remember these words, um, because, you will come to a place that's very desperate if you stay in that realm. And uh, it's it's so interesting because we're going to actually see it play out on a mass scale and in a public, in a public way as well, as well, because a lot of these leaders are, you know, some of the best known people in the world. And so if they're actively engaging those, we'll get to see a direct manifestation of what happens in their life. And, um, I do believe that the message of Jesus is going to be um, very simple and very powerful and very important. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's such an interesting time to be alive because in the 70s, um, you know, it was more organic. Like it was brought in and it was almost like there was a spirit that moved through America and it affected people. But now not only do we have the same spirit uh, that can move through people. But now we have, um, you know, social media and we have movies and TV and radio. And so there's a level of... You didn't have mass advertisement. And so what that does is it has the ability to define for people what their experience is. Uh, So it says, oh, here's what you experienced. Here's how to process it. Here's what it means. Um, so there's a level of uh, psychological control and programming and manipulation that is going to happen on a mass scale. And what's going to happen is that there will be people that go crazy um, and that are committed to insane asylums or end up homeless and lose relationships or commit suicide. 
and that will never be talked about. It'll just be the pretty girl on TV that says, I experienced hell and I'm, you know, I've transcended reality that most people do. And, you know, I'm the MVP. But those stories, the other stories won't ever be told. Um, and those will happen on a mass scale right. as well. So there's a lot of danger there. So what do you think, Paul, like as you came out of those experiences and then you found yourself, you know, reintegrated into Christian community, but this time, you know, for you, maybe different from your childhood, you found Christian communities that were affirming what we might say are like charismatic experiences, the not just saying, you know, pursue the fruits of the spirit, but there are gifts of the Holy Spirit available to you that you can have genuine uh, in Christ, mystical encounters with God by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can also experience um, the empowerment of the Spirit in your life to see sorts of miraculous things. I know last time we had this conversation, and it's it's a point of fascination for me, again, having never done psychedelics before, in what ways, you know, people are curious, in what ways are, would you say, like, the charismatic experiences, those particular, it's not particular just to that, when I say Pentecostal, we'll just use that, use that term. Charismatic experiences are similar and what ways are they different from a psychedelic trip? Yeah, that's an awesome question. I love, I love it. Um, so uh, in the book, I write about experiences that I had while on psychedelics and also share experiences. Um, there's, I've experienced the Holy Spirit many times in my life, but there was a really, really precious time where for three months the Holy Spirit didn't leave. And uh, the Holy Spirit was tangible in a very real way. And that's, you know, in writing this book, that was a very deep thing that I wrestled with because, you know, growing up with my parents and my dad, especially being cessationists and not believing in some of the things that I describe in the book and almost believing that they couldn't be, um, you know, of God. Uh, and, you know, I had equally as intense visions, insights um, with the Holy Spirit as as far as like the actual vision part of it, where I'm actually seeing something. Um, the difference for me, and there's multi-level, there's a lot of layers to this, but the difference for me is that um, I, the experiences with the Holy Spirit, they would either convict me and break me, or they would... Um, fill me with the most profound and otherworldly um, experience of love, of God's love, of, of, I mean, just literally just on my floor of my airstream, curled into a ball, just crying that, that the Holy Spirit's presence was there and just him just showing me things, revealing things to me and me just praying and then just wanting to do nothing but pray 24 hours a day, wanting to do nothing but read the Bible. And so if there is a spirit <laughs> in your interaction with it is that it you know, creates a desire that you pray nonstop and read the Bible, I'm pretty sure that's from God. You know? um, and here's the interesting thing to me is that um, these experiences that I write about in the book, and I don't write about a whole lot of them, but they were a while ago. They were years ago, um, in between eight and, you know, 20 years ago is the range for the Holy Spirit experiences and, you know, psychedelic experiences. And what I found in writing the book is that the meaning, the power, 
the memory, um, the recollection, the insights fade over time, both from a psychedelic trip and from an experience with the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I remember clearly that on some of the days where uh, the Holy Spirit revealed things to me, I could have written a hundred page book if I sat down and wrote down what happened in that experience. And, you know, in recollection of that experience, you know, eight or 10 years ago, I might be able to do like a consolidated version in one page. And so in the same way that if I were to describe my first, you know, trip to you, I would, um, you know, at the day that I, next day, if I wrote about it, I could write a hundred page book on everything that happened to me in that eight hours. Like, my car turning into a panther, me riding my bike to the bar and getting pulled over by a cop, the cop's face dripping off of his body while he's talking to me, and me playing pool in the bar and the you know the 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 queue is like turning to a snake and people are like crawling around. It was just, I mean, I could I could write like a story off my first experience, but if I were to try to write that story now, I mean, I I could like make up some stuff and I could kind of remember, but it it fades. And so to me, that is. Um, the experiences with the Holy Spirit, I believe, are almost meant to be like a nutrient for our growth or like God interjects them into our life to as like a precious, intimate thing. But it is, um, I believe that the Bible is there. Like if I'm 80 and I have dementia and can't remember any of these experiences, the Bible doesn't change. Uh, the Bible will stay God's word and it will be something I can read when I'm 80. Um, and it doesn't change, and I don't have to have a memory to read it of the experience to verify something. And so to me, that is, um, you know, the, the, one of the parallels that I see uh, in between the two is that both a Holy Spirit experience and an experience with like a plant medicine, over time, the memory, meaning, power, and recollection of them can fade and change where God's Word never does. Um, um that would be that's a big one, Paul. Because that I talked about this with um, with Ashley Landy, another former psychonaut, and I think one of the things Ashley had brought up was um, the often neglected um, backside of communities that gather around psychedelic experiences. How difficult it actually is if you gather people together who have all had their own separate disparate trips and you go, all right, coming out of this, we need to figure out together collectively a way to live, uh, an ethical mm -hmm. norm. We need to come up with like a cohesive story that could guide us all. Um, I, I think you know, and Ashley can reach out and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think her perspective was that's that's just impossible. You can't do it. And usually what ends up happening is some really strong-willed, charismatic personality ends up emerging in the hierarchy of the group. And often this person leads people in selfish ways by the end of these sorts of uh, community experiences. Whereas in, not not that you don't have out there in Christian communities, like, really unhealthy things happen but by and large over time there are there are mechanisms to correct those things right and so you know in like a protestant more protestant context where we where we go to you know scripture being authoritative over the church then we have at least a, a source that we say well this is fixed right now right and so we have a story it's up to us to kind of discern what how to best tell this story for our community but the story itself even though we find different Con contextual ways of making it relevant. The story itself is an eternally fixed um, position. So we have like a compass mm -hmm. 
for our lives, that transcendent compass that we now gather around together. It just seems even practically like, what do you do if you've been like a psychonaut for five years and you're like, all right, well now I want to raise my kids a particular way. It's like, how, how in the world are those experiences going to inform how you raise your children other than going like, well, maybe I had this like one trip and it, it showed me that I should be forgiving. Yeah. But then like, how are you going to raise not just your own kid, but like in your neighborhood or in your school, like a group of people get them together around this thing. And that doesn't seem, it just doesn't seem possible. And what we have is at least like, you can have this experience, you go to church or you, you know, you're in a time of prayer or, 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 or meditate contemplation on God and you come out of it and you go, boy, I had this transformative experience. Let me like stress test that against like the, the source external to me, right? So you can go to the scriptures, you can consult, you know, those that have saints that have gone before you and go, all right, how does my experience corroborate and connect with this story? And if it doesn't, then you have some mechanism to go and be like, hey, that was that was totally bogus. It doesn't seem like you have that with a psychedelic trip. You almost have to like test. You have to be able to test it against something. And that seems to be something that's deficient in like communities that would gather around this in in a sort of quasi religious way. Yeah. And almost all those communities will, I mean, they just dissolve uh, as a part of them before. And there's always some kind of, you know, deep spiritual thing that happens that's played off as something else. And everybody just, I've seen that happen many times uh, back in the day. Um, there was something, uh, as far as the parallel, I, I wanted to come back to. There's a when you ask the how an experience with the Holy Spirit and you know, psychedelic trip can be the same. Um, Michael Pollan, you know, author, but he has a Netflix series uh, on psychedelics right now, and uh, Joe Rogan you know, has been promoting it. And the interesting thing is that Joe Rogan uh, might be the most famous person in the world right now for talking, like asking questions, describing things. And so here's, I'm going to read uh, two things. One is, uh, you know, Second Corinthians 12, 2 through 4. And this is Paul. And Paul says, uh, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know. God knows such a one was caught up to the third heaven. So Paul's saying I was caught up to the third heaven. I don't know if I was which is in my body or outside of my body. God knows. Uh, and this says, and I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, not lawful for a man to utter. Um, you know, so this is Paul getting caught up to heaven, going to paradise. He hears and sees things he can't even express, and he comes back and he can't even speak about it. It's like so overwhelming. You know, so this is biblical. This is a biblical account of a really crazy experience, and the Bible is filled with really crazy experiences, okay? So here's a parallel. This is Joe Rogan, okay? This, he, this is a very long quote, and there are a lot of quirk, curse words in the middle and end of it, so I'm only going to do the beginning of the quote, but it will, uh, it will give some insight. Um, Joe Rogan. I've had psychedelic trips where my own sanity was slippery. It's so titanic that any words I use to describe it are just noise. You know, so you have a person who 
is the most famous person in the world right now for talking and describing things. And, and he's saying, like, the things I experience, I can't, like, any words that I use are just noise. It's just like, it doesn't even come close. And so they're both... Um, have open doors to the spirit realm, which is, I believe, uh, when the Bible talks about seeing through the glass darkly. I believe that, that that experience that Paul had or that Joe Rogan has, it's taking away the darkness from the glass. Um, the difference, I believe, is that if that experience is from God and it comes from God, that there is a level of truth uh, to that experience that um, is... is is of God. Um, I, don't, I don't, didn't describe that last sentence very well, but basically that that is a truthful experience. But I believe that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you can still open yourself up to the same spirit realm through an alternate means. But the experience that you have, if it's not based on God, it can be highly manipulative. It can be um, influenced by the enemy. Um, and, you know, the same overwhelming every part of your senses. It feels like, you know, I've never felt this so much love or I've never, you know, I died or I've never seen inexpressible realities and multi-universes and aliens and all the things that Joe Rogan describes. But, you know, both of them are having these transcendent human experiences, but one um, has a tremendous potential for harm and the other one has, is nothing but truth. Um, and so, you know, but where it gets slippery is Joe Rogan would say, well, my experience was truth. And it's like, yeah, you, any experience that you have is a truthful experience because you've experienced it, but it doesn't mean that it is true in, a, in the sense of that is, you know, universal, um, you know. Yeah, you can be describing it truthfully right. and not being intentional and deceiving people about what happened. And yet it doesn't mean that it's a description. So it, there's... There's description and then prescription, right. Yes. right? This is not like you can describe something and not have it be prescriptive for someone else. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, and so that's, to me, the interesting thing right now is that we are at our own beck and call. Like if I have $20, I get to have the same experience that Paul had. But God doesn't induce that in me. I'm inducing it in myself. And so I'm not like – I'm. I would be personally okay. Like if I never – had another vision in my life from God, I would be content in dying um, and just loving my wife and my daughter and, you know, trying to live a godly life. And, you know, uh, I would be content with that. And if God said, Paul, like, I'm going to give you the most amazing dream or the most amazing vision, and here's what I want you to do with it, and here's an insight, or this is for your heart and soul, I'd be, thank you, Jesus. Like, I, I would love to have the experience, but God is in control of that experience. And when we take the reins of our own spiritual growth and we start subjecting ourselves to things that um, are beyond uh, the normal capabilities of being human, and then we think that we can transfer that into nothing but positive, um, we are not designed without the help of God to uh, process those experiences in a correct way. And, there's honestly the enemy will help us process them and the enemy helping us process them will lead to, you know, a lot of negative things uh, for the world. And so that's just, that was an interesting reflection to me when I just saw Joe Rogan, you know, say that on, in that quote, and then to look at Paul's experience and be like, wow, they both just completely had experiences they couldn't even describe. Um, 
And it's not very often as human beings. Yeah, and Paul is not like right. He's not like that at all. And, and Paul doesn't seem to. Yeah, Paul doesn't seem to be selling it as like, boy, I want all of you guys to have the same experience. Mm-hmm. He does it with with a high degree of sobriety, trying to say, and there were things unlawful for me to even speak. Even more so, like to the point where he's not even describing it as himself. He's describing it as I knew someone. Right. You yeah, know? and he, and I think, like you're saying, most most scholars go and be like, well, they come to the conclusion, well, Paul's referring to himself, but he's so there's so much <clears throat> sobriety behind this experience that I, it almost is like he's deflecting people to be like, no follow up questions. Right. Like, I know a guy, yeah. right? But don't ask <clears throat> me any more about yeah. this. And I think we've, I don't know if we've talked about this online or offline before, Paul, but that seems like one of the things that you actually find from like historic Christian mystics is there's, there's, there's a heavy, heavy dose of sobriety, even, even, even so much so that they don't necessarily come out and be like, Hey, you need to have this experience and you need to have this experience every day. You know, the the real mystics talk about, you know, the, the St. John of the Cross, right? The, the dark night of the soul and those moments in which you can't just uh, ingest something and then take the easy elevator up into the transcendent, that there's something about the necessity of learning how to love and being shaped into Christ-like love also seems to me that we are afforded and it's weird to say it like this, that we're afforded opportunities to experience and sense the separation of God <laughs> and not get that easy. Like you're saying, you, I think it's wisdom, Paul, that you go, I could go the rest of my life without one of these transcendent experiences from God and I, I would die content. But if I also get them, great. I think to me, that's like what I've seen is one of the markers of the genuine Christian mystics is to go, I long for this. But ultimately, this is like a loving relational engagement with God where I don't just get to flip the switch and go, God, I want this experience of communion. You're going to give it to me right now. Mm-hmm. It's not like not on our terms. And I, I, I sense a degree of maturity in what you're saying. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. I'll, I'll share a quick story. My father, who, you know, I, one of the most godly men I've ever known in my life and just his life is an example of a true Christian man. Um, he's a cessationist, but he's gone through things in life, especially after my mother's death and some pretty hard um, things. As, as far as the human experience goes, losing a woman that you've been married to and loved with all of your heart, soul, and mind for 35 years. And, you know, uh, some of the other things that come along with that as far as like personal life decisions and uh it can, it's a, it's a stretching of your heart and soul. Um, and, you know, he shared with me uh, as a cessationist, he said, you know, uh, Paul, all I can do is say, Holy spirit. I lock myself into the closet and I cannot describe what happens inside that closet, but the Holy spirit is with me. And, you know, he's not in front of, you know, he's been, he's been a teacher and he's, you know, and he, as a cessationist, I don't believe that he would ever describe that experience to an audience as uh, it to like, it's almost like reflection of what Paul's doing here. It's like, there is a degree of intimacy that we can have with God that's on God's timing and that, but maybe it isn't for the world to know. Uh, And that is just an interesting observation of my dad, who I love and respect dearly, is that he's 
you know, I write about it in this book, and he tells me that he had them, but he doesn't describe them. You know, and so this, it's just, it's fascinating to me. Like, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to have a relationship with God. Even like the whole, you know, emotionalism uh, experience of, you know, some of the charismatic where it's manipulated. And, you know, and I've thought like, well, if God created the universe and he loves me and I love God, um, why isn't that emotional? Or why can't it be emotional? And I realized that if I'm only counting on emotion to verify my relationship with God, and then I'm like, oh, God doesn't exist because I didn't feel him this week. No, that's, that's entirely incorrect because God existing or not existing doesn't rely on a feeling. But like, if something loves me and I love it, there is a degree of emotion that is necessary for that relationship to be legitimate. Um, it's just, the whole, fa- the whole thing is fascinating to me. God's power, our ability to be, have intimacy with God, who's the creator of the universe. And we say these things and like casually, but you know, whenever I realize, you know, through one of the visions that like, we're literally communicating with the commute, with the creator of the universe. Like, sure. Like, look at this new telescope, look at the stars and the galaxies. It's like, yeah, the thing that created that, that we can't comprehend that we're barely getting a glimpse of with these little pieces of glass. Like, I'm communicating with that, you know, that, that being, that entity, that person, Jesus. And uh, it's just mind-blowing when you really think about it. And I feel like so many times we just say those things. Uh, but when we have that experience where, I mean, I'm sure, Paul, you've had them, where it's just like literally like I felt so much peace and love and joy from intimacy with God before that, I mean, I literally felt like I was dying. Like I couldn't comprehend how beautiful it was. Um and then there's sometimes where I read my Bible and I'm just like, where is God? And, you know, <laughs> it's so funny, the human experience. It's like, it's a little bit like okay. David in Proverbs. He's like, God, you're everywhere you're all the time. I love you. You're here from every beck and knee. The next chapter, he's like, God, where are you? I'm in a desert alone. It's like the human experience is kind of like that. Yeah, that's, ex- that's, exactly what I'm t- <clears throat> that's exactly what I'm talking about, Paul, is that that seems to be so central to our experience of maturation and growth. And I'm, I'm growing more and more convinced that um, there's a degree in which I think what God is most after with our lives um, is not these like particular out measurable outcomes about, well, you know, you, you did this and it achieved this, but it's, it's about the production of virtues in our lives and the tr- transformation of our human nature into bearing more of the virtues of Christ. And that's the thing that I would even say, I bring it up in uh, in the book that'll be coming out in the next month or so, is um, I, I even see that behind maybe why God has allowed the world or designed this kind of world to begin with at all. Um, it's what Origen believed, that there's in some sense there is this experience of uh, this age before we get to the age to come is about going through a school for our souls, a hospital for our souls. And we have to learn things if we're going to continue on and have free will in the age to come and our wills not desire evil, to not desire to move away from the good, then we have to go through this learning process. And I'm still, you know, and I've talked about this with you before. I've talked about it with Ashley, you know, I'm all, I'm open to you know, the possibility, like, I, I'd like, I want to affirm the inherent goodness of God's created world. And that would include things like, uh, like, uh, like a mushroom that has psilocybin in it. There's, to me, I have no problem with God perhaps having some good purpose for that. My caution and the caution that I hear in your story too, as well, 
is that if we short circuit that experience, if we like, what would David's life had looked like if, you know, he could just, you know, the flip of a switch essentially not have to deal with the feelings of being abandoned or estranged from God. What does that look like in the life of you and me if we always get some supernatural high or some transcendent high whenever we want it? I don't ultimately think that's for the production of of a more virtuous life. And um, that's weird to say because you would want to go in some sense like, well, doesn't doesn't God want us to have this like amazing communion with him all the time? And I go, yeah, but... You know, we've we've both been married long enough and we've I think we've both learned there's a lot of beauty to be found when you're not on a hot date every <laughs> single moment of every single day. Mm-hmm. Like it stinks, you can't see it at the time, but learning how to do the dishes and the laundry and taking care of your yard and cleaning poopy diapers, that's also part of the experience. And I am not overwhelmed <laughs> by a sense of God's nearness and presence in those moments most of the time. And I know you're not either. I'm not overwhelmed by a sense of love for my wife when we're like working through that stuff. And yet it's a necessary part of the developmental process. Um, you know, Paula, you've got you've had this book out for um how long has it out about been out again? Months, I know you gave me an advanced copy, so I've lost about four track. months, maybe five months. Four months. What has been you know, because you have kind of two audiences, it seems like you're addressing at the same time in the book. You are addressing those who maybe are um, not professing Christians, who are at least curious about your experience with psychedelics. And then you are addressing audiences that are probably Christian, like me, who have had no experience, and you're kind of talking to both at the same time. I'm curious what the reception has been like to your book thus far and the conversations that you've had since the book's release? Has it been positive, negative? What's the pushback been? What has been some of the things that people have really affirmed has gone, Leah, this is really helpful? Um, I have never in my life uh, produced as much fruit for the kingdom of God. And I don't say that in a prideful way. I just say that in a way that it's observational. Like three to four nights a week, I'm either emailing texting on a phone call or on a zoom call um or you know even like there's a shaman from peru that i'm going to be on a podcast with this weekend who's not a christian who i had a conversation with last week and you know if uh, i hadn't written this book i wouldn't be able to share jesus with this shaman who you know this working with plant medicines passed down generationally and share jesus to this person and i've um, I've had my mind opened because before I wrote this book, there were people in my life that, you know, I lived with or I was in relationships with who knew this part of my life, but it was never public, you know, in like, you know, the nine years of being on Facebook or Instagram, there wasn't a single time where I shared about any of these experiences before I wrote this book. So, um, it's, uh, what has been interesting to me is I've met and I've had close to not an exact number, but close to 100 conversations with strangers in the last four months. And I, um, I've had about 10 people tell me that they have come to know Jesus and become a Christian through a trip. And, you know, before I'd always heard people say, 
Well, I met Jesus on a trip, and he taught me, you know, what it means to love. Um, but it wouldn't be salvific. And, you know, there would be insights into Jesus as a teacher or things like that. And so it's so fascinating to me when someone tells me that they came to know Jesus through a trip and that they never had another desire to pick up a LSD or mushrooms or a DMT and they are reading their Bible and loving their wives more. And, you know, it's so I've kind of opened my mind to the idea that God can work in that dimension and in that reality when people open themselves up, but in no way can I promote it um, in the same way if someone drinks alcohol, they get really drunk, they get into a wreck, they kill somebody, they end up in jail and like you know for life, and it's horrible in the jail cell on the second week in prison, they just say, "Jesus, like you've always been there, you've always been the answer. I don't know why I had to drink, like I give my life to you." If I have to be here every day in jail and serve others and witness who you are to these people in jail, then like praise God that that was the outcome of you drinking alcohol. But I'm not going to suggest that people go drink alcohol in order to find Jesus. So I'm just saying that what I've seen is that God can work in any situation, in any dimension. And that's been very interesting to me. Um, and it's also just been interesting to me. Uh, there is... <clears throat> Um, it may be safer for me to say, I think everybody should avoid any form of psychedelic at all. And psychedelic, to me, psychedelic is something that actually creates a um, change uh, in your mind, in your spirit, it alters reality, um, your thoughts. Um, it may be safer for me say yes completely avoided but uh my struggle has been to be intellectually honest not only with um the bible when god looked at his creation and said everything that he created was good it's like do i demonize god's creation because of an improper understanding of how it's used or an abuse of it do i demonize it and say avoid it altogether or can i say you know there's a lot of studies that are showing that you know microdosing where it doesn't create a change um, or alter your perception, but it affects your brain chemistry and balances hormones, um, affects uh, neural networks in a way that's healing for past traumas. Is there some validity there that, you know, in the same way that if, uh, you know, I go to the hospital and they give me a medication and then I take a drug, like the literal side effects on some of the drugs that people are prescribed are hallucination, like the literal side effects, like in take the drug, you'll have hallucination. And Christians, like, they could be okay. Every single Christian I know says, oh, this person, you know, had an issue with their brain, and they went to the doctor, and the doctor gave them this. And, oh, just at night, they just have some hallucinations. Like, that's okay, you know? And so trying to be intellectually honest with if there is a correct way of engaging God's nature that is a part of his design, or if it's just something that is we should just completely avoid because... Um, now, I think anything synthetic, you know, if it's an LSD or even, you know, we're combining things to create, like ayahuasca, we're combining two things. Like, that's actually taking one thing and another thing, combining it to create something different. Um, 
when you start talking about synthetic or man's intention coming into <clears throat> creating a substance that you know creates a reaction, I think there's those should be avoided a hundred percent of the time. Um, but and the other thing, even with like even with normal pharmaceutical purposes, I don't I don't necessarily see like the difference between that and going like well antibiotics right. Aren't naturally yeah, growing. Yeah, I, I meant more as like as far as like the psychedelic nature of them. Um, but yeah, as far as if somebody takes uh, you know aspirin or antibiotics, I don't see anything wrong with that. And I believe that God can work through doctors. Um, I'm talking about um, <clears throat> anything that's created that can have uh, an effect on our minds where we're no longer in, in control. Um, and I've seen you know in, in this book, uh, Pharmacia, that I'm reading. <clears throat> there is a, you know, if a doctor prescribes, I believe doctors can be of God and doctors can be sorcerers. Uh, and if a doctor, you know, prescribes you things and you abuse them and then he continues to prescribe them, I believe that's a form of pharmacia. And if you're using that to escape reality and alter your consciousness and you don't need it, then that has the same um, detrimental effect to your spirit that you know, maybe taking LSD does, uh, and that you are trying to escape a reality or alter a reality and you're using a drug to do it. And, but you might say, well, I have a prescription from a doctor. It's like, okay, like maybe legally, like according to the law, that's fine. But <clears throat> if you know yourself and you're abusing it and you're escaping and altering your consciousness intentionally, and you don't deal with pain anymore. Um, maybe that has the same, you know, pharmacia root, that uh, you know, some of the other things do. Um, it's yeah, it's it's a funny one where that line is for people. It's just so interesting because everybody's going to have a different line. You know, like I hate, I don't really like alcohol at all, but every once in a while I'll drink a glass of wine with my wife, and I never, I don't think I'll ever be an alcoholic just because I don't even like, I really don't like the taste of it. Um, but someone else might just be around it and smell it, and immediately they're like, within a week later, they're back into alcoholism full time, and they've divorced their wives, and you know, destroyed their entire lives just because they're around alcohol. And so, you know, it's that where that line is is like a tricky one. Yeah, there's no blanket. Right. It doesn't seem like there can be a blanket generalized statement for these things. And now we're operating in the category of of wisdom more so than what we might say is harmartia. Are we talking sin or not sin? Or are we talking about um, proper application of knowledge to the right situation, which would be wisdom? And that's that's actually one of the things I appreciate about you, Paul, and the way you presented this in your book, is even I think from the get-go, maybe in the opening introduction, or at some point, I distinctly remember you inviting people into dialogue and to disagreement with you and and keeping those channels open um i think that's how we actually navigate these these issues that aren't just as simple as going well yeah you know what um you know stealing stealing from your neighbor we can say that that's wrong um but when we get down to like well what's the difference between you know someone who has come back from afghanistan they have ptsd and maybe like um in a clinical setting, like microdosing could help them in a way that's far more effective than some other, uh, like antidepressant, you know. And the 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 stats on like antidepressants are they're horrible. That, they're not that positive. Yeah. For what's actually been effective in people's lives, and so we get down to that layer of conversation. 
Um, now I think we need each other's perspectives and we need to like exchange and we need to do our due diligence on this. I'm not saying we, I'm not a scientist, but uh, we, we, we need this dialogue as Christians together to not just be like, well, blanket. And I think having your testimony and what you've shared or others like Ashley Landy have shared is really, really important because there's a lot of other perspectives out there that are like, yeah, I had it. It was great. My life is awesome. And then on the margins are those that go, well, I did this and it wrecked my life, like you're saying. And we rarely hear about those people who would never got on the late night show with Jimmy Fallon or whoever Megan Fox was talking to. They never get on the Joe Rogan channel. Um, and we don't, we don't hear those horror stories either. So figuring out how do we move beyond like description of our experiences to navigating what we would recommend and offer as prescriptions for how to live. That's, that's challenging work, but it doesn't mean that we don't engage in it just because there could be room for nuanced uh, variation from person to person on this. And I think your book is a good invitation to people to get into at least your, your experience of the story um, to hear, I think what I again would affirm is like the positive transformation that, a life in Christ affords us and Christian community affords us that goes so far beyond what um, simply trying to like hijack the, the elevator up into the, to the, these, these spiritual levels of awareness to, to hijack that in ways that um, don't ultimately lead to our good. I think we can see that in your story. And I think you're inviting really, really, really good dialogue with people about that. And, uh, it sounds like that's the experience. I mean, that's wild, Paul. What, what would be some ways that, um, people could find the book and then maybe even like, you're very open to connecting with people and you, you treat this as, you know, a ministry mm -hmm. in, in some sense. Um, where can people find the book? What are methods that you open up to, you know, allowing for some healthy, healthy boundaries, self boundaries here. But yeah. what are, what are some methods that you'd say, yeah, if people want to reach out to me, they've got a story, they got questions. Here's the book. Here's how to connect with me. Yep. Um, the book is available on Amazon, uh, Psych the psychedelic Christian by Paul Reese, R I S S E. Um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram as Paul Reese as well. And I may be getting off of that just because it's, accelerating it's uh <laughs> anyway it doesn't it's not appealing to me in any way as as much as it used to be and it's changing but i'll be on that for a little while longer just to promote some things um uh, i always give out my phone number 940-577-9002 um text me your name what you want to talk about uh if you want to read my book beforehand so you're not just assuming off the title that i uh what the book is about um, that'd be awesome. And I have uh, seen people come to know Jesus. I've been able to pray with people, cry with people, listen to their stories, be a reflection for them. And uh, I'm actually filled with joy every time that I end one of those conversations because I felt called to um, write this book. And it was a really hard book to release to the world and to actually see the fruit from it uh, consistently. Um, it's, it's a really precious thing. And, um, I look forward to talking to every type of person. And even if you're a Christian and you're like, Hey, here's some Bible verses that you need to take into heart and consideration to change your approach to delivering this message. 
I would love for you to reach out to me and let's talk about it. Um, in the same way that if you're, you know, a person who is a scientist and you're super into psychedelics and research and you're like, uh, you know, your perspective on this is flawed and here's some empirical evidence that shows there's no negatives, like share it with me. Like I'm here to grow. And if, uh, if I'm wrong in any way, um, I'll change my stance. Um, but to me, nothing changes the fact that Jesus Christ is the answer. And, um, I do feel that this is a timely book and I'll be working on an audible version of it, video version of it, where I describe kind of uh, where I was when I wrote each chapter, kind of insights into each chapter, because the book is not long at all. It'll probably take you under an hour to read for almost anybody. And it's, it's a, uh, it's, it's a form of art, poetry, spoken word, life experiences, Bible verses, insights. Um, and so um, I also have an intention of uh, creating a documentary. It'll probably be an hour and a half long, and it'll be with three or four people who have realities uh, very similar to mine where they were heavily engaged in psychedelics and then um, came to know Jesus and uh, give their insights into uh, their testimony and then what they learned from those experiences and um, pointing people to Jesus who... Uh, I, I'm going to release it for free. Uh, so um, hopefully that will take place by before the end of the year. And I have three or four people that have agreed to be a part of it that would be amazing. So <clears throat> and very powerful and almost like an answer to the Michael Pollan, uh, Netflix, uh, Joe Rogan kind of explosion of uh, the promotion of them, at least a safety and precaution. And like, here's some good things to be aware of spiritually. If you are going to say yes to that, like, at least uh, listen to this, um, watch this. And uh, I'm also finding that uh, almost everybody I know watches videos and maybe 1% of people I know read books. And my book has, uh, has done better than I have anticipated um, without pretty much zero marketing except for one or two posts uh, that I've done, uh, almost zero marketing. So it almost seems like it has like God's giving it a life of its own. And, uh, but I do know if I do a documentary or video or audible, that it will get a lot more views just because that's the nature of reality right now. So look for that in the future. Um, call me, text me, set up a time to talk and, um, yeah, let's do it. It's great, Paul. And I just so appreciate, um, your, your humility, your epistemological humility to be like, Hey, I might not have it all. I have to share from my perspective, share from my convictional location. I'd love to hear from yours. As you know, and I think this is a point of connection for both of us, You know, I think we hopefully embody that and share that in our approaches to this. And I just, uh, I'm just so deeply encouraged because to me, this is a, this is a better, better model for dialogue and for actually learning and growing than going, here's my thing. I'm going to own all of the whoever mm -hmm. you know out there, all of my enemies. Um, that that's that's ineffective so you know um there's another one you know another point of connection for people of course with this podcast as this is released we always post uh, on my patreon page a discussion forum so if you had direct comments you know paul is involved in that community i'm not promising that he will respond to each of them but i know we'll be able to see them i'll see them and i know there's lots of things that have come up in today's conversation i'm gonna have to listen back to it and go oh man i'm gonna have to think about this some more. So if you have things, uh, you know, and you're like, I don't know if I want to just, you know, text 
Paul out of the blue, you can certainly, you know, maybe reach out in the, in that forum or, or other places and let's let's keep the let's keep the dialogue going. Paul, thanks for your time. I love having these conversations together. I've learned a lot from them. You give me a lot to chew on and process. And I'm just so I'm so glad that you're offering a perspective out there that can at least be um, hopefully a counterbalance to what you're saying is the kind of the overwhelming popular consensus that all of this is for for your good. And uh, you know, I, I hope you just keep us keep us informed as to the progress of a potential documentary. And I think that's that's a really important voice to add to the the conversation in our culture right now. So thank you, Enjoyed Paul. Enjoyed it for thoroughly. Your time. Thank you, Paul. Today's episode and all of our episodes are made possible without advertisement because of the generous support of listeners and viewers just like you. I want to give an extra special thanks to Clint, Jesse, Alex, BJ, Daniel, David, Eli, Elise, Jesse, John Mark, Johnny, Josie, Justin, Kirk, Lola, Luke, Matthew, Michael Hernstein, Mike Thomas, Paul Spencer, Paul Reese, Rob, Sam P, Sarah R, Stephen H, and Taylor S. Thank you all for your generous support over on Patreon. I can't do this work without you.